We have the most giving God of every religion in the world. Um, it helps that the God that we worship is the only true God in the world too. But when you stop and think about the main message of other world religions, you don't find a God who is willing to give his only son to die so his enemies can be forgiven. And not just forgiven, but come to be called his children and come to be servants in his own kingdom. We go from being enemies of God who are under his wrath and our sins or we're dead and our trespasses and our iniquities. And when we're saved, we're transferred to the kingdom of light where we have the opportunity to advance God's mission in the world. It's pretty neat to think about. But when we think about a giving God and how generous and gracious He is, we also need to realize that God did not just give us His Son so that we can keep Him for ourselves. And God doesn't just show us grace so that we can be happy with it and keep it all for us. He commands us to share His grace with others to be giving and generous to those around us. And so with that in mind, I want to ask you to turn to 1 Peter chapter 4 this morning. 1 Peter chapter 4, we're going to look at verses 7 through 11. Uh, these verses occur towards the end of the book of 1 Peter. Uh, Peter, the apostle of, of Jesus Christ, was writing to a group of Christians who were scattered uh, throughout different regions in the Roman Empire. Those to whom he was writing were Jews who had been saved by Jesus. They had fallen on hard times. Many of them didn't have a whole lot of money. Uh, some of them were undergoing pretty good, severe physical persecution. But all of them had been ostracized for the most part from the communities that they had once been a part of. And so life was tough for these early Christians. And Peter was encouraging them when he wrote these words in 1 Peter 4 Verses 7 through 11. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be of sound mind and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another, because love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaint, as each one has received a special gift. Employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. And whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies. So that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. That's a good place for an amen, by the way. That's why Peter put it there. And so when we're looking at these few verses, here's what I want you to keep in mind. God has given you grace so that you can share His grace with others. God has given you grace so that you can share His grace with others. Now keep in mind the context in which these early believers found themselves. Their lives were difficult. Their lives were hard. They were trying. They were facing persecution from outside the church. They were facing this uh, 
they've been pushed to the side from their families, from their former Jewish communities of faith. And now they were finding themselves as Christians who were put off by the pagans and Romans around them and also by the Jews around them. They kind of found themselves alone at many times. But Peter wanted them to be encouraged. And he did so by saying this at the very beginning of verse 7. The end of all things is near. Or some of your translations may say this. The end of all things has come near. The one that Peter is referring to in verse 7 is Jesus. When Jesus came to this earth, he inaugurated God's kingdom. You remember John the Baptist was preaching before Jesus came on the scene and John said, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Well, what did Jesus do when he followed John the Baptist? He started telling people, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Something that is at hand is something that is near, right? If I say, give me what's in your hand, I'm saying, give me what you've already got. When Peter says the end of all things is near or has come near, he's trying to help these Christians understand that Jesus has come and Jesus is coming again. This is the last phase of history before the Lord fully establishes his kingdom on this earth. And would have helped these believers take heart. Think about what he says after this. The end of all things is near and because it's near... I want you to be of sound judgment and sober spirit. Sound judgment and sober spirit. He wanted them to be right with God in mind and in heart. Now you could imagine some of the temptations these believers faced as they went through trials in their own lives, right? Even if we go to trials of varying degree, maybe not as much physical persecution as these believers did, but as we go through difficult times in our Christian life, We're faced with these same type of temptations. The first would have been this. Life is hard. Just hold on till Jesus comes back. And when you do that, it's good in a sense to await and expect Jesus to return. But God doesn't have his body of believers, his church, his followers here on this earth so that they can sit down and wait on Jesus to show up. His believers have been left here to continue the mission that Jesus started when he first came to this earth. But when we get hold of the mentality, the idea that life is tough, I just need to wait till Jesus gets back, we start to find ourselves discouraged and depressed. And when we get discouraged and depressed, we don't feel like doing anything. And this is true not just in a spiritual sense, but in a physical sense as well. Maybe you've gone through a difficult time in your own life and you've been through these series, these episodes of depression, discouragement, darkness. It just feels like life's purposeless and life's meaningless and you don't really have anything you want to do and so you're not doing anything. People who become severely depressed oftentimes don't even get up out of bed. They just stay in bed because what do they have to live for that day? In the Christian life, We can experience this same type of darkness and depression when we forget that Jesus has come and he's coming again and we start to have this attitude of, man, life's just horrible. I just need to wait until Jesus comes back and it'll all be better. Paul says no, or Peter says no, I want you to be of sound judgment. That is right in your mind. 
I don't want you to be darkness and full of gloom and despair and depression. He says, I want you to be of sound judgment. Sound is a word that communicates solidarity and stability. When we stand on Jesus Christ, we don't want to lay down. We don't want to be depressed. We have a mind that is stable, resting in Him. He says, sound judgment. That is, we're able to know what God wants us to do and what God has for us to do. Peter says, the end of all things is near, therefore be of sound judgment. He says, don't be depressed and don't be shrouded in gloom, but think clearly. Jesus is returning because he could return at any moment. What does God have for you to do right now before he comes? He says, be of sound judgment. And then he says, be of sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. Another temptation that some of these Christians may have faced was this idea that Jesus is coming back at any moment. So if life has been tough or life has been good, whichever way, just live your life however you want to. Jesus is coming back, right? And instead of trying to live a life that was pleasing and honoring to their Father in heaven, they only cared about pleasing themselves, doing whatever they wanted to do. And so that's why you find Christians in the New Testament who are still going through idolatrous practices and living in immorality. You'll find Christians who are getting drunk at pagan festivals and you'll find Christians who are committing adultery even within the body of Christ. And you'll find Christians who weren't honoring God with the way they lived. Why? Because their attitude was, Jesus could come back any moment. I've been saved. I might as well live it up now, right? But Peter says, it's not the right attitude. It's not the right heart. I want you to be a sober spirit. When you think of the word sober, immediately what probably comes to your mind is the idea of somebody who is not intoxicated with alcohol, right? Because when somebody's intoxicated with alcohol, they have lost all control. They don't know what's going on. They can't remember anything. They act a fool. And Peter says, spiritually, be sober in your spirit. That is, have a right heart, have a right attitude, desire to honor the Lord with the way you live your life. He says, the end of all things is near, so be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. Prayer connects us with God. Peter wanted all of these Christians to maintain constant communion with the God who had saved them. And the only way for them to do that was to remember that the Lord Jesus would physically return to this earth at any moment. And that because of his imminent return, they were to have sound judgment in their minds. Not be depressed, but anxiously awaiting Jesus to return and looking for what God had called them to do that day. But they were also to be of sober spirit, having a right heart, a right attitude that wasn't influenced and corrupted by the fleeting desires and pleasures of the world around them. He said, for the purpose of prayer, be of sound judgment and sober spirit. In other words, make sure your life is right with the Lord. If God's given you grace and your job is to share His grace with others, you have to be connected to Him in order to keep sharing His grace. Don't you? As Christians, we're meant to be channels of God's grace into other people's lives. But if we come to the point as Christians when we think, I've been saved. All I have left to do on this earth is just wait till I die and go to heaven or wait until Jesus comes back. Or if we have this attitude of, I've been saved, 
so I can live my life however I want to and it doesn't matter what God tells me to do anymore because he's already forgiven me, then we disconnect from God. The relationship's still there, but the fellowship is broken. And when the fellowship is broken, we can no longer be conduits of God's blessing into the lives of others around us. I remember growing up, we had this game called uh, uh, Mousetrap. Anybody ever see one of these things? And now they've even got uh, uh, whole tracks you can put together. In this game, Mousetrap, uh, you had a little metal ball at one point that you would drop in a plastic tube, and it would circle around, and it would set off the mousetrap. You, uh, you, you tried to set up the trap so it would catch the mouse when it came through. Now they've got these big, long marble tracks, these, these plastic ones where you drop marbles in, and, man, they spin around and turn, and they'll, do, they'll, they'll hit uh, flippers and flappers, and those things will start spinning, and they'll connect to dominoes, and the dominoes will spill over. There's all kinds of cool toys that they've invented nowadays, right? And uh, I remember when we got to this point in Mousetrap, if the little plastic pieces weren't connected to each other anymore, that marble ball, even though it started to drop in the tube, would hit the board. The mousetrap wouldn't go off. Why? Because the pieces weren't connected anymore. If we as Christians fail to connect with the God who saved us, we cannot pass on his transforming and saving grace to other people. This is why it's so important for all of us to maintain our relationship and our fellowship with the Father in heaven. We have been given God's grace so that we can share it with others. And then in verse 8 and in verse 9, Peter gives us uh, these instructions. He says, Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another, because love covers a multitude of sins. Keep fervent in your love for one another, because love covers a multitude of sins. And then he says, Be hospitable to one another without complaint. These two admonitions from Peter to the believers Help remind us that we don't just need to have a right relationship with God, but we need to have a right relationship with each other. I mean, you think about this. Maybe it's been true in, in your own home. Stephanie and I have been married for 10 years. We, we do love each other. Um, I make it really difficult for her to show me love sometimes, but we, we love each other. But uh, here's something really interesting that occurs in our household. we got four kids. And man, we can... Stephanie and I can, can be having a great day, talking, having a good time. You know, life is just wonderful. But if there's friction in the household between children, it messes up Stephanie and I's relationship, right? Because here's what happens. Let's say a couple of the boys start to fight with each other over a toy. Who's going to get to play mousetrap? We don't have that game, but Hot Wheels car, something like that, right? What happens? All of a sudden... Because those two are at odds with each other, Stephanie and I start to raise our voices. Blood pressure starts to raise. She screams at one boy, I scream at the other one. And before long, here's what happens. It's not just that the boys are in friction with each other. It's that Stephanie and I aren't as close together as we once were. If God is a God who gives us grace and we're expected to share His grace with others... We cannot do that if we're not loving each other and serving each other in the body of Christ. The greatest way to point a lost person towards Jesus is a group of Christians who love each other. You know what the greatest hindrance is that keeps people from coming to Christ? A group of Christians who don't love each other. 
And Peter knew that. And so he's saying, above all, above everything else, even if you guys don't get anything else right, keep fervent in your love for one another. I've had a, a couple people since I've been pastor that have asked me about this church or that church. What, what are they doing that's so good? How are they reaching so many people? How, how are they seeing all these people come to their church and worship the Lord? How are they seeing people saved? And it might be churches like Central Baptist in Jonesboro or United Free Will Baptist here in town. Or it might be something big like Life Church and Craig Rochelle and all the campuses that they've got scattered throughout North America. And... Uh, if, man, look, if there was a program or a method that we could plug in, we'd do it. But that's not why those churches are reaching people. That's not why those churches are successful. They've got great programs and great methods and great strategies, don't get me wrong. But you will find the heart of every one of those pastors and the leaders of those churches are set on loving people. Do you know that? Maybe you don't. But you do now, Right? Those pastors and those churches are set on loving other people. They are keeping fervent in their love for one another. This word fervent means that you are continually stirring the flame. The tendency for relationships is for people to drift apart. If we want to keep fervent in our love for one another, we have to be intentional about bringing fellowship back together about meeting with each other, serving one another, encouraging each other, praying for each other, loving one another, and being hospitable. Mordecai uh, and I went camping after the men's campfire fellowship on Friday night at Jack's, Jack Wolf's place. And uh, if, you, if you don't know, real camping is, is done in tents, all right? Not in campers. So we set up the tent, and man, it was, it was nice weather outside you know I, I put the rain fly on the top because I knew it was going to be uh, there's gonna be dew in the morning uh, so we went to bed man the, the fire was still going and we're laying down and we woke up about six o'clock in the morning just both of you shaking like that teeth chattering I rolled over to Mordecai I said Mo are you cold and he didn't even say anything I thought, all right. So I said, Mo, stay here. So I, th I threw my sleeping bag and my coat up on top of him and, and rubbed his back and warmed him up for a couple seconds. All right, stay here, and I'm going to go get the fire going again so that we can get warm outside. Well, man, I want you to tell you what, what happened. You, you guys already know. I went back to the fire pit. A bunch of ashes. There's no flame. There's still a little bit of warmth there, but the tendency of a fire... When there's no additional fuel is to do what? It's to go out. So what do I have to do? I had to go find those couple of little blocks that were left at the edge of the fire, bring them back together to the middle, add a couple of pieces of wood on the top, and start to fan the flames. And would you know what happened as soon as I started doing that? The fire returned. If we're going to keep fervent in our love for one another, we have to come back. We have to meet each other. We have to pull together. We have to add more fuel to the fire. We have to fan the flames. This is the idea that Peter wants these believers to have in mind. You have to keep fervent in your love for one another. And here's what happens when you do, Peter says. Love will cover a multitude of sins. For all the cold that Mordecai and I experienced in the tent that morning when we woke up, when that fire got going and we got outside, 
And we got around the fire. Man, that warmth felt so good. It feels awful to be disconnected from the church, doesn't it? It feels awful to feel like you're alone and like there's nobody who's there to talk with you and cry with you and pray with you and walk with you through the difficulties of life. But when you come together, the warmth and the love that is there is wonderful, isn't it? Peter says, keep fervent in your love for one another and be hospitable to one another without complaint. That's a big one, isn't it? Be hospitable to one another without complaint. Over in Philippians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul put it this way. He says, look not out only for your own interests, but also for the interests of others. And then he goes on to say, have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who although he existed in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but took upon himself the form of a servant. And became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. This is the same idea that Peter has in mind when he's writing to these believers. He says, be hospitable to one another without complaint. You see Jesus loving his disciples who are so dull in their brains many times that they can't understand half of what he's talking about. You see him teaching and instructing Without complaint. You see him loving the unlovable in society, prostitutes and tax collectors, without complaint. You see him marching to the hill of Calvary, not going, man, God, why'd you have to put me down here and make me do this? You see him bearing his cross, forgiving the very ones who nailed him to the tree, all the while doing it voluntarily, willingly. Giving of himself, being hospitable without complaint, saving the world without begrudging the world. When Peter says be hospitable to one another without complaint, he's saying put people's needs above your own and don't gripe and grump about it. If God has given us grace and we're to share his grace with each other, we have to do that with the right motivation and the right attitude, don't we? Man, listen, you can make every hospital visit in the world, but if people think you're just coming by because the preacher asked you to or because you're on the prayer list for their Sunday school class and you were in Jonesboro, and they know that as soon as you walk in the room, that hospitality is not going to come across. If, uh, if you decide that you are going to help you God bless with Awana on Wednesday nights because Lord knows we need the help right Monty and Bryson if, if you decide that you're going to show up on Wednesday nights and help with these children but the whole time inside your spirit you're going man I just can't oh, these are my kids I just bring their neck 30 more minutes and it's all over with that's not really going to come across as true kindness and true hospitality is it Peter says, be hospitable to one another without complaint. Genuine, heartfelt expressions of love. That's what he's after. We have been given God's grace to share it with others. And we ought to have the same motivation and attitude in our hearts when we share his grace as God had when he shared his grace with us. And then he wraps up this passage in verses 10 and 11 
by encouraging each one of these believers to employ God's grace. He says, as each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Now notice something. Peter doesn't say each of you will be given a gift or each of you can receive a gift. He says each of you in Christ has already received a special gift. The Lord has given it to us in His Son, Jesus Christ. And when we expressed faith in Him, we receive that gift. This gift is the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit manifests Himself in different ways in different believers. It's always been the case. You look at the early church. You see Peter preaching the sermons there at Pentecost. You see the other disciples rallying around him in prayer. You see John kind of being the follower and the tag-along partner with Peter, the support for him. You see Philip, the deacon evangelist, going off and sharing God's grace with the Ethiopian on the road. You see people like Stephen, who is willing to assist the widows in the congregation and ensure that they receive their daily food distribution. You have prayer warriors, you have table servers, you have preachers, you have missionaries, you have generous givers, you have servants that aren't mentioned because they do some of the lowliest tasks on the earth. But yet all of them had received a special gift. The same Holy Spirit that helped Peter preach at Pentecost helped Stephen serve the tables for these widows. And each of us have received Him. The moment we believed in Jesus, the Holy Spirit came to live inside of us. And we became a tabernacle of the living God. So Peter doesn't say, I want you to receive your gift. Or I want you to think about your gift. Or I want you to discover your gift. He says, I want you to employ this special gift in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Back in the 80s, before I was born, I was born in 88, but but back then, the uh, churches had gone through this awesome time of renewal when they were producing all types of material about discovering your spiritual gift. Anybody remember those? Man, I might as well quit now. All right, here we go. Uh, Yeah, so some of you guys remember these things, right? And, uh, and these books and these materials were produced from like passages like 1 Corinthians 12 and Romans chapter 12 and Ephesians chapter 4. And you were encouraged to read through these study guides. And then at the end, you would take this little test. You guys remember that? And you'd either write numbers in that said, this is what I love to do. This is what I feel good. Like I, you know, I, I can do this well in the body of Christ. Or you would circle... Uh, different answers and at the end of it you'd calculate and tabulate all those answers and you'd say this is my spiritual gift those things might be awesome and wonderful and they may have helped you figure out this is how I can share God's grace in the body of Christ but man I've taken spiritual gift inventories like five or six times And every time I got a different gift I don't know how that works maybe I can't count I don't know But here's reality. Peter doesn't say, I want you to take spiritual gift assessments. 
Peter says, I want you to employ the grace that God's given to you. He said, Jake, I, I, don't, I don't know how to do that. I don't know what God wants me to do. Peter follows up. He says, serve one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. See, every Christian has received a gift. Every gift is supposed to be used for the benefit of others within the body. So that God's grace can be shared with everyone around. And so it's not just a matter of thinking when you get connected to God, He can channel His grace through you. It's a matter of realizing when you get connected to God and you're connected to other people in the body of Christ, God has that many more ways to channel His blessings to His people. I watched a really cool YouTube video a couple weeks ago, the world's longest uh, domino train. It was, it was amazing. You guys got to check it out sometime. But in this video, there's one domino set up, and a person goes over and flicks it. And this one domino goes down the line. You've seen it all. You, you did that when you were kids. You probably do it with your grandkids still, too. And the dominoes start to fall over in a line, right? Well, then here's what happened. This domino line started turning into multiple domino lines. And they built towers, like replicas of Buckingham Palace out of dominoes. And that one domino, because it wasn't just connected in a single line, but connected and spread to all kinds of others, knocked down this whole huge palace. I thought, man, why would you spend so much time doing something like that to tear it down? But it was really neat to see and to think about. And we start to think about how we're supposed to be connected to God and to connected to others in the body of Christ. We realize that when we do that, when we are given God's grace and we share His grace with others, we're not just tearing stuff down for no reason. We are building one another up for good reason. To continue to do the work that God has called us to do. Being good stewards of manifold or variated grace. There's only one way to be saved and it's through God's Son, Jesus Christ. But did you know there are multiple ways people come to faith in Jesus Christ? There's some little boys that are going to hear the gospel message from their dad. And then they're going to go pray out loud to God in, in the bathroom and be saved. There are some people who are going to ride the church van for three years. And they're going to be horribly behaved. And you're going to think, man, why in the world are we taking this church van around? Zach, I'm not talking about you, don't worry. But here's what's going to happen. All of a sudden, that person who's been riding the church van is going to say, hey, could you drop me off last tonight? Sure. And then you're going to get to have a conversation. And that person's going to give his life to Jesus Christ. Not because he heard a good sermon, but because you were faithful to pick him up and drop him off for three years. Listen. There are people who are going to hear the good news preached from the pulpit. There are going to be people who hear the gospel message of Jesus Christ in a Sunday school classroom. There are going to be people who get saved because of those things. But there's also going to be people who get saved because someone was willing to distribute food to them every month through the food pantry. There's going to be people who get saved because someone was willing to watch their kids for a couple of hours so they could have some sanity on Wednesday nights at home. People are going to be saved 
when you share God's grace with them. And maybe you can't stand behind this pulpit and preach a message. Maybe you can. But however God has called you to share his grace with others, you do it. And when you do it, God works and he moves. It's amazing and it's wonderful. In fact, Peter goes on to explain the two really general areas where where God gifts his people. He says, whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. And whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies. The church needs people who are vocal and visible and out in front. The church also needs folks who are quiet. And who work behind the scenes. And do the diligent and hard work of digging trenches. So that the channels of God's grace can continue to flow. And so that the people who speak on behalf of the church to the community can do what God's called them to do. If you've received speaking gifts, speak like you're speaking the Lord's word to people's hearts. And if you've received serving gifts, do so as one who is serving by the supernatural strength that God gives. Here's why. Here's how he wraps this up. So that in all things, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Remember how I started verse 7? What did he say? The end of all things is near. You know who the end of all things is? The end of all things is the beginning. He's the Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. His name is Jesus Christ. And one day when Jesus Christ returns and he takes his church home to be with him in glorious heaven forever, all of a sudden... We're going to realize just what it meant fully to share God's grace with others around us. We're going to look around and see this person worshiping in this corner over here. And we go, hey, that was my Sunday school teacher growing up. I remember she taught me how to pray. This person over here. That was the one who opened up the gym for us on Tuesday afternoon so we could play basketball. And I remember after we played basketball, he'd just share a little Bible verse with us. But man, that Bible verse helped me eventually express my faith in Jesus Christ and come to know Him. And when we're gathered there all together, saved and sanctified and glorified, we're going to be singing the praises of Jesus, the one who gave His all for us. Peter wasn't asking his church to do anything he wasn't willing to do. And Peter wasn't commanding these Christians to do something God had not already done for them. He was asking them to give their all, their very lives, to give themselves to one another. Because Jesus had given his life for his church. If we've received God's grace... We ought to share it with others. Maybe you're here this morning and you want to receive God's grace, but you never have. I just want to share with you real quickly, but most importantly, that God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, not to come into this world and to see how we live and then go back to heaven, but to come into this world And live life as a human being. And to die on the cross for our sins. 
so that all of us who would believe that he died for our sins and receive the grace that God has given us through him could be saved. That verse, John chapter 3, verse 16, sums it up this way. For God so loved the world that he gave. He gave his only begotten son. Not rented, not loaned, not half-heartedly offered. He fully and willingly gave his only begotten son. So that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. If you're here this morning and you haven't received God's grace, you can you'll simply call out in faith and say, Jesus, I believe you gave it all for me. Jesus, I want to be saved. Will you be the Lord of my life? He'll save you here and now. Maybe you're here this morning and you have been saved. You have experienced God's grace. Maybe it's time for you to continue or to begin or to rekindle this relationship so that you can share his grace with others. Would you stand with your heads bowed and your eyes closed? Father God, I pray that as you spoke into our hearts this morning, we'd respond in faith and obedience to you. Lord, I pray that there's anyone here who hasn't received your grace through your son Jesus Christ, that today they'd turn and trust you. Lord, I pray that if there's someone here who has, has been saved and been saved for a long time, but they just don't know the joy of serving you fully and of sharing your grace with others. God, I pray that you would put on their heart exactly what you want them to do and exactly how they need to go about sharing your grace. As God speaks to your heart this morning, I'll be standing down here in the front if you need to come and speak with me. The, the altar is open if you need to come and pray. As God calls you today, would you come?